Hi, welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the pencils, the brushes, the sketchbooks, and the iPad to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 88, For the Love of Architecture on Land and at Sea, with pencil artist Greg DiNapoli. Hi everyone and welcome back. I hope you appreciate the little rhyme I did there. <laughs> so I hope you're doing well and uh, welcome back to the to the show. I have a few updates and then we'll get right into the interview with Greg. One of the things I mentioned a few episodes ago is I created a little bit of a gear page at mykenley.com. I've been adding tools that I've been using and some of those will come directly from this interview. So uh, I encourage you to check that out. I link out to Amazon um, and other sites. I have an Amazon affiliate uh, link built into that. So if you do buy something, I get a tiny percentage coming back. But I wanted to more so give you a location to be able to see some of the stuff that we've talked about and some of the stuff that I use. So there is a gear page on mykenley.com and I'm constantly kind of adding new materials, pens, papers, pencils, chairs, uh, the case I use, all of that kind of stuff. And as I Kind of switch things around. I'm going to try and keep that current and up to date. And if you hear me mention something that I don't have there, just send me a message and I'll I'll make that change and try and keep that page up to date for you. I also link out to companies like Art Toolkit and Etcher, so you'll be directed directly to their sites. I make a little note in there about the percentage discount, which I'll mention at the end of the show, and that is a coupon code for each that'll give you a percentage off your purchase. So before you buy anything from our toolkit before the end of December and anything from Etcher, just make sure that you find that coupon and apply it to your shopping cart. So one of the things I wanted to talk about are these changes happening with social media, specifically Twitter, and it feels like things are melting down. I'm seeing so many people leave and consider other options like Tumblr and Mastodon and, and you know Discord servers and all that kind of stuff. We can't let these platforms define us. We should never let them define us. And I'm just as guilty in doing that, uh, especially when it comes to Instagram. I'm, you know, I post something and I hope I get the likes, and it's like, stop. <laughs> Whether I get, you know, a thousand likes or I get ten likes, it doesn't define how I feel about my art or how I feel I've changed or how I've matured or what I've learned in what I'm doing. So I think we have to always consider that these are just platforms. They are not who we are as artists. And we have to make sure that we kind of abstract them away. Now, that being said, I just have a couple of points around this. And I think that, you know, having your own blog, well, let's start first. Having your own website is really important. And then having some kind of blog that is independent of the platforms is important. I've always said this. I think it is, you know, you shouldn't be relying on one platform like Instagram or Twitter or ArtStation to be where you store all your stuff. You need to own your own domain. You need to own your own server and have backups of all your information, all your posts. And from there, you can share it out. And you can share it to Instagram, uh, Mastodon, Twitter, whatever the case. And it may be that you can't share it directly. It may be that you have to cross post or whatever the case, but you need to have a blog, I think, so that you're, you are independent of all of this regardless of what happens on Twitter, regardless of how the algorithm changes on Instagram, that you have a home base where people know they can find you. And so I think being mindful of that as you continue to kind of move your your creative venture forward, 
even if you're just doing this for the fun of it, having your name out there tied to your art, even if you decide not to monetize for five years or three years, is important. And, you know, setting up a domain, setting up a small web server, uh, you know, through the number of hosts that are out there is not a huge amount of effort. It does take some some planning around it. And if you want to reach out to me and have questions about that, I can respond to that. Maybe I'll do a, a podcast episode about it. But I want you to ensure that you kind of own your stuff, right? You decide where it's going to go, and then you can share it on these other platforms to get more eyes on your stuff. But make sure that you've got a home base. And one thing I want to highlight as well is don't forget that mailing list. That is a way to engage with people directly. Now, I've got a, a small mailing list. I haven't done a newsletter in a few months, and I feel bad about that. It's been really busy for so many reasons for me, but I am going to be starting it up again soon, and I'm going to be talking about uh, some of the projects that I'm doing, and I'm going to get to that a little bit later. But uh, I have a mailing list. I'm trying to build that up, and that's what's going to be kind of the the magic bit that's going to help you transform what you do because these are people interested in hearing from you directly. They're going to get it in their mailbox. You're free of the social platforms. And you know, you may have people, as soon as you send something out, they may unsubscribe because that's not what they expected. And that's all good because it's helping to refine that group of people that are really interested in what you're doing. So I do encourage you to uh, to create a mailing list. Uh, if you want to follow mine, I'm going to be sending out a newsletter probably in the next three weeks. You can get a sample of the kind of newsletter that I send out. And through that link, you can actually see some of the other ones I've done as well. I think part of the challenge I had with the newsletter is I was trying to put so much into it on a monthly basis that I just didn't have the capacity with my full-time job. So I'm looking at a way to kind of tone that down, send something out more regular that's engaging, that's interesting. And then I can look at ways to leverage that as I get into these larger projects and things like that. So um, yeah, be kind to yourself with social media. It's it's kind of weird out there right now. I did create a Mastodon account. Um, I'm using, so Mastodon's kind of like Twitter in the sense it's a, a way to sh- share your media and your thoughts amongst a group of people that you follow and that follow you. But it's federated in the sense that it isn't one central server or servers. It is a series of separate instances run by people but these instances, these little islands of, of people, um, of servers, talk to each other as well. So when you join a server, the biggest one I think is mastodon.social. So if you join that, your default feed will be everyone on that platform, on that instance, which is mastodon.social. So you can follow people on other instances of Mastodon, but kind of your default feed, the community that you're part of, the rules that you play by are tied to that to that server. So I just recently moved my account from mastodon.social to viz.social. Uh, that's vis.social. And that is focused more around illustration and science and art. And for me, that just made sense. I think it's a well-curated group. You know, the people that run this can decide who who gets accepted and who doesn't. And I think that kind of moderation is helpful at times. And so that's what I've done is I've moved over to that uh, that platform or to that server. So you can follow me regardless of where you are on Mastodon. I will be posting there. Um, I will continue to post on Twitter, but I'm just trying to make sure that I've got my name out there in these different platforms and uh, we'll see where it, where it takes us. But once again, it's it forced me to even take my newsletter, my mailing list, my website, my blog posts even more seriously now as I consider them 
as I'm reminded of, you know, some of the challenges in using social media and being reliant on these platforms. So creating a Mastodon account is, is free. And I would encourage you maybe to investigate that space. But once again, you know, it gets so thick, right, where you've got Twitter, Mastodon, Tumblr. Uh, some people are group- heading out to LinkedIn as well. I do have an instance on LinkedIn. and I'm struggling with that. But, uh, you know, trying to, as um, Glendon Mello mentioned when I interviewed him, you know, focusing on one or two, maybe three, is probably helpful at this point as a matter of social media platforms, especially when we've got this volatility around Twitter. So take care, take time, uh, take time for yourself, and uh, we'll get through this together. So I'm still planning for 2023. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of updates. I'm still kind of floating around a bunch of ideas. Uh, One of the big things I'm thinking about is this podcast will reach 100 episodes in 2023. So I'm thinking about ways to kind of mark that milestone. If you have ideas, send me a message, send me a note, and uh, I'd like it to be an interesting episode. (laughs) Not that they aren't, but uh, maybe a little bit more special than the others. So let me know. I'd love to hear your ideas, and uh, we'll see what 2023 brings. So in the next couple of episodes, I'll talk a little bit more about what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what my theme will be. Or next year. Uh, this year it was storytelling, so I'm thinking about what my theme will be for next year. You know, I've probably got a, down to maybe four ideas at this point, but I'll share that with you as I get closer. It really provides a bit of a, a, a guiding star, maybe, something to reach for as I move through the year, and it helps to balance kind of the the challenges and the, um, and the opportunities I'm given to understand, you know, should I go this way or that way? And I just need to make sure that I've got that that uh, guidance with regard to the theme that I've chosen. So we'll see how that comes out. As a matter of art updates, my recent art pieces are a bit of a a game of cat and mouse, quite literally. I'm planning for a large acrylic piece, which I've been doing for some time, and I just haven't started it yet. But I've been working on cat eyes. So it's this piece is a large cat, and it is a large, large cat in the sense that it's a two foot by three foot piece that I'll be doing in acrylic. And I wanted to kind of explore cat eyes because for me, this piece will fail if I don't get the eyes right. So I've been using my sketchbook and pencil, my Pentel Graph Gear 1000, and uh, worked on some eyes. I spent about 45 minutes on each, and I did four different views, kind of just trying to understand the structure, the lids, how the inside of the eye works uh, with regard to you know, a cat eye versus a human eye or a toad or whatever the case, or a bird. And so that was kind of good practice for me. So as I say, I want to make sure I get the eyes on this large cat right. So that was why I kind of spent a little bit of time doing that. As I'm working on this larger piece, that's one of those things I'm going to put in my newsletter. So as I'm kind of building this up, I'm going to do some snapshots. I'm going to talk about some of the challenges because it is an opportunity for me to share this because I've not spent time with acrylic before. And so this is an opportunity for me to kind of bounce around it a little bit, and then share my experiences and kind of working with acrylic. So I'll be doing that through the newsletter. I'll also kind of feed some posts out through social media. But uh, this is going to be an interesting exercise over the next, uh, I'm going to say a couple of months. We'll see how it goes. So the other piece is a mouse, a harvest mouse, who was eating some berries. And so I tried to be a bit looser with this one. And one of my followers noted that. So that's kind of uh, good that he caught it. But I was trying to be a bit looser a bit more illustrative in this one. And once again, I sketched it in ink and then did it in watercolor. I used some of the um, typical kind of Daniel Smith watercolors, but I also tried this Schmincke 
super granulating paint. So it's a watercolor paint, but it kind of changes color on you a little bit. So this one has a, a bit of a purple and a like a a light ochre mixed into it as and it's you could see the the particles like it's it's really heavily kind of as they say super granulated and that was kind of interesting to play with so when you look at this mouse and you see the berries that's done with this schminky or schmika uh, paint and uh, that was really fun to play with so i think i'm going to do a few more like that and uh, as it is between podcasts i think i'm going to have a bit more time between uh, this podcast and the next one to do a little bit more art so i'm anxious to share that with you I'm still joining the Etcher gatherings, so if you want to follow Etcher on Facebook, you'll see those Etcher gatherings come up. I tend not to join the ones during the week because I'm working. I do have time at lunch to kind of draw and paint, but not enough time to do this. But if you see one on the Sundays, uh, that's usually the one that I'm joining. And so that's been kind of fun. Once again, just follow Etcher on Facebook and you'll see those Etcher gatherings. They're free. They're done through Zoom. Uh, You can share your microphone. You can share your video but you don't have to. And so you can just sit and we all just create together. It's kind of a good way to chill and chat and talk about materials and approaches and some of the subjects we're working on, but it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the Etcher gatherings. So that's it for updates. I hope you enjoy this interview. My guest popped up in my Instagram because we share a similar love, graphite pencils. His subject matter ranges from New York City skyscrapers to the Brooklyn Bridge, lighthouses, and architecture at sea in the form of the Titanic. His skill in rendering his beautiful drawings with the use of just a few pencils and erasers is incredible. His graphic design experience has provided him an eye for composition that brings his pieces to the level of being true portraits of these wonderful structures, showing their age and experience with the elements. Speaking of elements, wait until you see his clouds. To talk about his creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Greg DiNapoli. Hi, Greg. How are you? Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. I've been wanting to have you on for some time because I'm such a huge fan of pencil work. It's pretty evident with your uh, with your passion because the the work that you do around buildings and and the Titanic and everything else is just it blows my mind. We're going to get into real kind of deep dive here into your tools and your process and uh, I just wanted to thank you for putting the time aside to join me. My pleasure. I'm so happy to be part of this. I wanted to kind of get a look behind the curtain because you know we see people's work we we don't even understand if they're full time or part time we don't know where they came from were they professionally trained did they are they coming from something else are they doing something completely different during during the day <laughs> so as part of that exploration i'm just wondering when you were growing up were you kind of that creative kid did this can you see what you do now in that you know 5 year old version of you 100% when i was a kid all I did was play with Lego bricks. That was like my entire childhood. Uh, I'd build buildings and lighthouses and ships, and uh, and I would draw a lot too. And a lot of times I would draw something out and then build it. A lot of people thought I was going to be an architect when I was a kid. So not the direction that I went in, but uh, for a long, long period of my childhood, everyone said, oh, he's going to be an architect. But my subject matter, 100%, my entire life has not changed. I've always been enthralled with big architecture, uh, skyscrapers. Uh, I've had a thing for lighthouses from my mother, basically. She was a big lighthouse person, and I kind of gravitated toward them. She would take me to one, and it would be so tall and old and just fascinate me. 
And uh, when I was in fourth grade, I got really into the Titanic also. So that has been a lifelong passion of mine. Again, it's big architecture. Uh, more so than even the sinking, uh, the construction of it always appealed to me. The grandeur of it, the luxury of it, and how it failed also. The engineering behind its demise also uh, was always fascinated by that as well. Yeah, you, until you said it, I didn't really make a connection between the skyscrapers and the Titanic. But when you talk about architecture, it is it does extend beyond it it's just naval being, architecture. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't really think about that. And the other thing I have to say is, it's not often that you hear people talk about Lego bricks as Lego bricks. People talk about Legos. Well, and, yeah, that's I, actually wrong. I don't exactly. know if many people know that. It's not Lego Legos. That's incorrect. Yes. The plural form of Lego <laughs> is Lego bricks. Right. As soon as you said that, I'm like, okay, he's he is a Lego nerd. Yes, sure. I am, for sure. So you were drawing as a kid. You were playing with, with Lego bricks. At, what direction did that take you as you went through kind of high school? Uh, were you drawing more in high school? And then after that, what happened? I feel like before I got to high school, I just did a lot of doodling. I would doodle the wedding cake top of the Empire State Building, or I'm close. To, I live near New York City, so the New York architecture always fascinated me. The Twin Towers, I would do the two rectangles, one with an antenna, you know, um, that kind of stuff. But once I got to high school, I guess I started expanding, getting a little more into it, and a couple teachers took note of, of what I was doing. And the one especially did, and he gave me a photo of his house. He was like, can you draw this for me? Because you obviously have ability, and I would like to hang this in my house. Can you, can you draw it? He loved it, and he asked me to do a few more. I drew the houses, and they like they were very architectural, and they got a lot of praise from my teachers. But math, I struggled with math in high school, and it kind of... You know, when you tell people you want to be an architect, the first thing they usually say is, oh, man, there's a lot of math in that. So when I started struggling in math, it kind of pushed me away, uh, confidence-wise. And I just kind of, not lost interest, because I'll always have an interest in architecture. But that career path kind of, there was like a roadblock in front of me. So I immediately kind of steered away from it, you know, for better or for worse. I was also a, uh, a runner in high school. And I was going to run in college. I was I was pretty good at, at track and, and cross country. So and I like history. That you know, obviously the Titanic is. I loved reading about history, the time period. I like American history. So that when I graduated high school, my thought was, hey, maybe I'll be a history teacher and I'll coach track. And not even thinking about art, even though I was starting to draw even more than I had been. Hmm. Um. So then I went to college and. I ran track, and the deal was when you're an NCAA athlete, you have to declare your major by your soft, by the end of your sophomore year. You can't compete anymore. So I was kind of stuck. Like I took in a couple education classes, and I hated it. I'm like I can't. I'm not going to be a history teacher. This is for the birds. And then I was stuck. Like, well, I always liked architecture. Should I try architecture? Parents' friend uh, is, was an architect, and he actually took me to New York City, showed me around. And all I saw was the CAD on the computer screens with numbers. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then another family friend was in a, a product designer, industrial designer. And I went and saw him also just to try to get any idea of what I wanted to do. 
and his work kind of appealed to me more, and my school had a graphic design program. So I'm like, well, hey, it's kind of drawing on the computer, it's creative, it's not architecture, but it's still in the art realm, and I'm getting pretty good at this art thing, maybe I'll pursue that. So by the end of my sophomore year, that's what I decided to do. I decided to uh, major in graphic design, and I have a, a degree in that. That's what my degree is in. Did you like it? The college part of it? I did. It was interesting because I basically picked it, not on a whim, but I mean, I didn't know a whole lot about it when I decided to do it. And I learned quite a bit. Uh, you learn way more on when you actually get a job in graphic design than you do in school because you have to deal with clients and all that other stuff that they don't teach you. Um, but I do, I do enjoy it. I'm still a graphic designer today. That was 20-something years ago. I'm an art director. I've been at my job for 15 years. So it's obviously if I didn't like it, I, I wouldn't still be here. <laughs> but um, I always kind of gravitated back to, to drawing because it's just something I like to do. Like I don't have to answer to a client. I can do whatever I want. It's, it's a, such a simple form of art. It's a pencil and a piece of paper, and you can create anything with that, which is what I'm really drawn to with drawing. And I can make all the decisions myself. I don't have to answer to anybody. So a lot of times when I'm done with work for the day or maybe it's lunchtime and I have a little time, I can step away. Or on the weekends, I will, I will work on a drawing because it's really what my passion is. So, you know, you left college, you go into graphic design. So you've been working in agencies, well, agencies in some capacity. My first job was with... It was called the American Hearing Aid Associates, and we did brochures for audiologists around the country. Like it was like a service that they offered as part of their program to in this network of audiologists. Mm -hmm. So I would, it wasn't very creative. It was basically they had templates. You would send the client a bunch of templates. They would say, "Oh, I like that one," and then you would like copy and paste their logo and you know their practice in it. Uh, that was my very first job out of college. It was a uh, temp position for someone on maternity leave so i only did it for three months and then then it was uh oh what do i do now you know getting a job in art or whatever with no experience and a college portfolio is challenging so it took me a, quite a while i spent some time at home with my parents uh, my second job was with a sports collectible company which i enjoyed we did uh bobbleheads and all kinds anything you can imagine for for sport uh, like we had licenses for all the major leagues. So I did stuff for major league baseball and, and the NFL and, and I was there for two and a half years. And then uh, I left there and I went to my current position and I've been there for 15 years. And right now I am working for a promotional product company. Uh, I'm the art director. We have a lot of cool accounts. We work with some really big companies. I get a lot of freedom to do cool packaging t-shirt design. So it, it's a creative thing. I'm the art director. I have a couple of artists that I work with. So it's, it's been fun. And through all of this, you still have kept drawing in your spare time. I would say I graduated college and I kind of stopped for a while trying to get a job and, you know, all that kind of stuff gets in the way sometimes. And mm -hmm. once I got married and I was at my current position, I started taking drawing more seriously, just kind of I don't want to say boredom, but just like, hey, I feel like I'm going to draw. And I drew a lighthouse. This is about 10 years ago. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to 
I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to draw again, draw another lighthouse. And uh, I did a lot of research on the internet because outside of like basic drawing classes in college, I wasn't a fine art major. I was a graphic design major, so I didn't get a lot of the fine art training. Mm-hmm. I had to take, you know, drawing one and painting one and whatever else, but that was really it. So I don't want to say I'm self-taught because I went to technically went to art school, but a lot of what you see today in my work, I kind of got from studying other artists on the internet, uh, YouTube, just kind of like, oh, that that's really good. I wonder how he did that, and just kind of studying it and trying to not so much replicate it, but just try to make it my own. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of the last ten years. I've grown quite a bit with my drawing. Do you think you would kind of surprise yourself if you sent a message back to the past to say this is what you'd be doing now in your spare time? Or do you think this has always been in the cards? It's a good question. I think if I, looking back when I was in high school and I looked at some of my work today, I'd, I'd probably surprise myself a little bit, but not crazy. Like I had always had a passion for it. So I could probably see myself getting to somewhat of a higher level. Yeah. But I am pretty happy with, with the level that I'm at. Not that I ever want to stop growing and learning, but because there's always room for that. Right. But uh, I am pretty happy with what I've done just from my spare time, basically. I'm, I'm curious, and, and I didn't prime you for this one, but I, I, I'm just curious with your location and that transitioning into college and that interest in buildings, you know, 9-11 must have hit really hard for where you are. And for your interest in architecture, did it like how? I'm just wondering. Like I, I think about that when I see because of the items you're interested in, you see mm-hmm. those impacted, and it it seems to hit harder or differently. And I'm wondering. I'm just curious if that's something that you know. There's a loss of life, but there's it's massive yeah. structure, right? Yeah, the, and that's it's interesting you ask about that because that is a very good point. When I was I went to college in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, so about 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia. So I wasn't, you know, near New York at the time of 9-11. I was, uh, I had had morning practice that day for college, uh, for track, I mean, and um, I was in college. So I had practice at 6 a.m. I got back to my dorm. I went back to sleep. I didn't have class till later in the day. So my sister actually called me and she said, a plane hit the World Trade Center. She woke me and my roommate up. And I'm like, oh, what? I, I assumed it was like a single prop plane. And it was, I said, I, I, I said, it's probably not going to be on the news here in Philly. It's probably what a little, a little plane hit the World Trade Center. And she's like, no, it'll probably be on the news. Turn on the TV. And I turned on the TV and, and I saw what was happening. And we watched the second plane hit, uh, me and my roommate. And I'll never forget when the, when the towers fell and, the, I saw the antenna, um, um, it was one World Trade Center that had the antenna. I saw it kind of cave in and collapse. And that hit me because, as I mentioned before, when I was a little kid doodling, I would always draw the two rectangles with the antenna, you know, and what made it, the two rectangles look like the World Trade Center was one had an antenna on the top. And watching that fall, that, that, that antenna that, that I kind of gravitated to, those two buildings, Watching them fall, and obviously, I don't want to sound callous against the loss of life, because obviously that was terrible, mm-hmm. but those buildings coming down, yeah, that definitely affected me a lot, because again, they were 
awe-inspiring to me since I was a little kid. For my 10th birthday, my parents took me to Windows on the World, which was the restaurant at the top. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Uh, It actually had an outdoor observation deck on the top. You can go literally stand on the roof of two World Trade Center. And, like, it was awesome. And to watch them fall, it was, yeah, it was a bad day. (laughs) Yeah, that must have been uh, tough. I was just, you know, we've all relived that memory again and again. It is, and you're right, like, that's a huge loss of life, huge impact to everyone in so many different ways. And uh, I just was really interested, and I'm glad you shared that from somebody who's who's drawn it, who's admired architecture, that uh, that it had that impact to you as well. And I'm sure there are other people that worked on the building or somehow connected to it that see its right. demise differently, right? right. And uh, when you always think about the people first. I mean, as soon as I absolutely. saw the plane, you're thinking, "Oh my God, the people in the plane, the people inside." Mm-hmm. But actually, watching them fall was it kind of it went a little bit beyond the loss of life because these are two, I mean, they were symbols of our country. That wasn't just a New York thing. Mm-hmm. The World Trade Center was a symbol of our America's economic prowess. And watching them fall, I mean, it was unbelievable. I'm sure most New Yorkers couldn't believe, you know, watch them coming down as more right. at that moment as a symbol of their city, uh, of the country. Um, so, yeah, that was, it was definitely hit, hit me hard. And, when it got to the point 10 years ago when you started working on this, were you drawn to, uh, because you've done skyscrapers and mm-hmm. bridges and mm-hmm. lighthouses and the Titanic, mm-hmm. did you focus on one or two things first? Like typically we kind of latch on to two or three yeah. items. Or Lighthouses are my are my uh, my happy zone. Uh, oh, I, yeah? I've always been able to draw a lighthouse. Whenever I, I see one, I want to draw it. So yeah, when I first started, the first three or four or five, pardon me, even more than that, uh, were drawings were all lighthouses. Skyscrapers are scary, man. They're intimidating to draw. There's a lot of angles and windows and bricks and everything else. I didn't want any part of that one. I, I just wanted to get better at, at just drawing. And I, I kind of stayed in my safety zone there. And I drew a lot of lighthouses as I was getting back into it. Yeah, skyscrapers can freak you out because you think you've got it right, and then you get you drawing windows, and you realize I got to fit two more windows here. Right. So <laughs> my, my scale's and all messed up. Getting yeah. the perspective right as you yeah. come down, and you, all you need is one row of perspective to be off, and the whole thing. Yeah, it's hard, man. <laughs> yeah, the human mind is uh, is beautiful, but it can spot those things. Oh, in a very quickly, and it yeah. it breaks it all for you, right? And when you're so laser focused, you don't see it until you you know you stop and you walk away and you come back and you're like, what did I do? Just do it for an hour and it's right. all wrong. Yeah. I remember speaking to one artist who was working on a piece, and I don't remember if it was higher than him or lower than him. I think it was higher than him. And his wife said, "It's messed up." And <laughs> he had been in the same wrong position mm-hmm. for so long that the perspective was kind of right. changing on him, right? Yeah. And uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, like I and I appreciate your ability to do lighthouses because I've tried drawing a few. I haven't done it in pencil to the level you have. I'm focused more on distant, but mm-hmm. the perspective stuff you've done is is just it's incredible. And uh, I mean, you must have so many lighthouses around you as well, right? As a matter of having access to them. Uh, here in New Jersey, we have uh, eleven. Um, I've been to the mall, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a member of the New Jersey Lighthouse Society. 
I've been a member since I was like 10 years old. My mom and I joined when, when uh, in like the early 90s. So yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with the lighthouses in New Jersey. I grew up going to the Outer Banks and uh, North Carolina on family vacations. And having a parent who was as into them as my mother was, and my father who was willing to drive us <laughs> to them, uh, I'm very fortunate that I've seen a lot of lighthouses and something that's just fascinating about them is they're all different. Mm -hmm. uh, they're all old. They've all survived the test of time and they're all so architecturally different and, and fascinating to me. The short ones, the tall ones, the square ones, the round ones, the octagonal ones. So I, I, I just have an endless fascination with them. Yeah, I can. It's funny you mentioned the Outer Banks because I've, I've stayed there a few times on vacation and uh, the lighthouse is very different there compared to, uh, or in that area compared to Newfoundland, for example. Right. Yeah. 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 It's uh, much softer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're they're taller on the outer banks. Yeah. Yeah. Newfoundland's ones are are, are pretty sh pretty short, and yeah. they're all red. I think every Canadian lighthouse, if I know, if, correct me if I'm wrong, you would know, is has is white and red. Is that true? I. I I don't know if everyone is, but I think everyone I've seen is. I think so. I think it's like a national thing they did with their lighthouses. They're white okay. with red tops. Pretty sure. See, now I'm going to have to Google this. Yeah. If I'm wrong, yeah, please <laughs> call me out. <laughs> but I remember reading that one time. And it's true. Most Canadian lighthouses you see are white with red tops. What does your mom think about you doing light, drawing lighthouses? She's probably my biggest fan. She's always been pushing me to, to, to draw and, and see where I can go with it and a lot of times, if I if I have a, a photograph that I'm thinking about drawing, I'll send it to her. I'm like, oh, what do you think of this? You think this would be a good drawing? So she's got. Uh, we have my parents had a house on the Jersey Shore, and uh, she's got a bunch of my originals hanging hanging up down. She's like my own little private art gallery down there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, she's a big fan, and my dad is too. He he's also a big fan. So they they've both supported my my hobby uh, quite a bit. That's good. <laughs> and so you're working as a designer. I mean, not a lot of designers would necessarily call themselves artists. But when did it get to a point where you called yourself an artist based on your pencil work? That's another good question. I don't know. I don't even know if I'm there yet. Oh, but yeah. by the art, artist is a loaded word. In some respects, if I, if, if I see somebody and they're interested in drawing and they're like, well, I'm not an artist, I will encourage them and say, the second you put a mark on a piece of paper, you you are an artist. That's by definition you are making art. So yes, in that regard, I am an artist, and I and I I love that I'm an artist. But people seem to when they say you're an artist, they expect you to be maybe like Vincent Van Gogh or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I'm at the general public's definition of an artist, but yes, I consider myself an artist. I think. When you say artist, it's like, I mean, I was going to, like, when you were talking, I'm thinking, well, you know, you could, you know, if you play the piano, are you a pianist? Probably not. Maybe you need more education around that. And then when you said artist, like, it does, it could mean anything if it you could. say artist, it's, right? It's a very loaded word. Yeah. 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 But uh, I think it's important that we embrace it at some point because it helps to define who we are instead Absolutely. of what we do. Absolutely. Right? And I try to, I definitely try to embrace that. I definitely try to go by that literal definition. Once you make a mark on a piece of paper, and I tell my daughter this too, you are making art, you're an artist. So anyone can do it. 
What does she think of her dad's work? She doesn't understand how I make things look so real. She's nine, and she has definitely has an interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not as much as she's interested in her iPad, but she definitely likes uh, art, and she likes to see my drawings. And if I finish one and I'm making prints of, of one, she'll ask to have one in her room or or whatever. So yeah, she's she's a, a fan of mine as well. <laughs> have you tried teaching her anything? I have. There's there's YouTube videos out there that are geared toward kids, and we'll sit and watch one, and I'll, you know, along with the instructor on the YouTube, we will go through it, and sometimes I'll pull her aside and be like, well, no, turn it off. Let's try it this way, just to give her a different, you know, view. But she she's she's getting better with it. She likes her art. Art is one of her favorite you know, special classes in school. And she definitely, I gave her a sketchbook. She, she's filled it up, you know, mostly with, you know, doodles or whatever, which is mm-hmm. fine. But, uh, yeah, I try to encourage her to spend a little more time on her drawing. Cause you know, if you look at my work, I spend a lot of time on it and she'll spend five minutes on a drawing and be like, look, daddy, it's done. And I'm like, Ooh, five minutes, <laughs> you know, daddy spends months on a drawing. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> But no, it's it's a lot of fun doing it with her and encouraging her and, and seeing her grow and her skills improve. And it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I did the same thing with my daughter. And I can tell you that I was just starting out. And I, I still think the most important artwork I've ever done was the artwork I did with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, not judging the, the quality of it, but... <laughs> right, honey, right, right, right. Uh, no, it's, it's a lot of fun sharing that with your children, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you started 10 years ago doing this pencil work in your spare time. Like you were describing it that you had control over it, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you had, you were able to make your own decisions. Mm-hmm. Do you worry at all that you're going to get to a point where this becomes your full time and that maybe those, the heaviness of the next thing that you don't get to make as many decisions. Like, do you worry at all that it gets flipped around and <laughs> now you lose those things that you've wanted? Do you mean as far as like being full-time, like taking commissions and not yeah. necessarily drawing what I want? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I have done commissions. I have was fortunate to get a couple jobs from an interior design company where they were looking for art for some of their interior design spaces and they commissioned me to do uh, a series of, of buildings or architectural landmarks in the areas of their projects, and they would hang in public spaces. That was cool. I liked doing that. If someone approaches me and they want me to draw something and I don't want to, I will politely decline. And I like having that, <laughs> that authority. So that may preclude me from ever getting to full-time pencil artists because... If I don't like it, I don't want to spend 20, 30, 40, 50 hours drawing it. And that may be, sound like conceited or something, but I mean, no, I don't, I don't want to draw that, so I'm not going to. So that's kind of how I look at it. I think many of us worry about monetizing our hobbies, our passion, because you worry about failing at it. Right. Maybe you can comment on this. Like What you're doing in your spare time probably it, it exists at a deeper level than the day job. It's more tied to the to the heart. It fuels you. Right. It it and and if you fail at that, I feel like that's 
that's a really raw wound to deal yeah, with. Yeah, it'd be hard to get up from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, being hey, being a full time fine artist is very intimidating. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of opportunities to fail for sure. So you got to know what you're doing. And uh, I've thought about doing more commissions and trying to make more money with it. And I've I've done commissions where I didn't enjoy them, and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this. This is not. This is not fueling my passion. I don't want to draw, you know, whatever. I want to draw what excites me. I want to draw what I'm passionate about. So for now, anyway, unless I start selling my originals for you know, millions of dollars, <laughs> I think I'm going to just keep it as a, as a hobby. <laughs> Do you think when you look back at your 20 years as a, a graphic designer, what kind of two or three things, because I'm sure there's other graphic designers listening to this, thinking about mm-hmm. doing something outside of what they do, but obviously still creative. Mm-hmm. What do you feel that you've learned as in being a graphic designer that's applied to you being a pencil artist, whether it is the, the, the art, the, like the ability to create, or whether it is the business or dealing with people? Is there two or three things that you think you've pulled away from that? I'm sure there's more, but. There's actually, they're so, they're so different. I, dealing with people for sure. Compositionally, I think graphic design and my and my comp like if I do a T-shirt, you want it to be balanced and and compositionally accurate and have strong strong areas. And I think uh, I can I've learned compositionally how to make a good composition in a pencil drawing. Also, um, you want something to pop, just like you do in graphic design. You want it to pop. You want parts of the drawing to pop. You want the the rule of thirds, for example, for maybe a T-shirt or even a logo or something like that. Uh, I think you you can tie the the composition in are very similar. I'm glad you mentioned that because I had another guest on who works in a similar field, also an artist, and meant he talked about the same thing: the idea of composition, Be- mm-hmm. being able to guide that viewer of your work through your piece. Mm-hmm. I think is is really um, valuable, and the stuff that you've done with you know the Brooklyn Bridge uh, just blows my mind. I, I really, <laughs> at some point, I will get there and uh, be able to enjoy that in front of me. And I'm probably going to have to sit down and and draw it or paint. It's it. funny. I, I have two drawings of the Brooklyn Bridge. The first one I did in a sketchbook, and I spent I don't know ten hours on it. Uh, it was from a, a photo. I had never been to it before. And then a few years back, my wife and I got to spend some time in the city. And bucket list for me, even living close to New York City, was always to walk it. Got to walk the Brooklyn Bridge. It's like, uh, you know, one of the coolest things to do in New York. And I had never done it. And uh, my wife and I got to. And at one point, I just pointed my camera up at one of the uh, arches. I snapped a picture. And I'm like, I'm going to draw that. And uh, I got home and I'm... I don't know, seven, eight months later, and a million <laughs> bricks. I actually drew that one one brick at a time. Wow. It was done. And it's one of my more popular pieces that I sell at shows or, or you know, online. Gets a lot of likes on, on social media. It's a, it's a brilliant piece. There's Thank so, you. There's so much there, so much texture. Uh, that was the thing. The Brooklyn Bridge has so much. It's so old, and it's, it's got the brownstone bricks and it's got so much unbelievable texture. It sets it aside from any bridge in this country. It's one of the most gorgeous things architecturally you will ever see. And when I looked at my reference photo, I'm like, I got to capture what I am feeling 
like with this awesome texture and that's why i literally went one brick mm -hmm. at a time because i wanted to nail it i needed to i couldn't just do a broad you know wash and and just suggest the details i needed to really really emphasize the textures and that's why it took so darn long <laughs> it's funny hearing you talk about that because i could put you against a few portrait artists that i know and they would describe people the same way you know that you know especially if you're uh, painting someone who's older who has uh, wrinkles Mm -hmm. And um, that th th you can see what they've been through. You can see the emotions they've they've experienced in life. You can see the mm -hmm. marks that have been left. Right. That's how exactly how I look at architecture. The exact same way. That's each, cool. Each piece of texture tells a story. And I actually I've said that to people in the past. Like I look at I look at architect drawing architecture as a portrait artist would look at a person. Like there's more than just getting likeness. There's there's personality there. And whether it's wrinkles or some of the hyper-realist artists you see today, like draw every pore or every minute hair or whatever, I kind of take that and in architecture, I try to get all of those little things that make the characteristics up of the building. Like it's not just getting the windows in the right spot. You got to capture the, the characteristics and the personality of the building. Like if I just drew the Brooklyn Bridge and made it one shade, you know, or a shader that just is a general three-dimensional form, yeah, you might recognize it as a Brooklyn Bridge, but it wouldn't have that impact that standing in front of it does to you. That's what I was really trying to capture. I'm wondering as well, I mean, I, I do this when I do draw animals, but I'm curious, like when you're doing something, is that the Chrysler building that has the the metal, is that the Chrysler building? The gar has the gargoyles on it? Yeah, like the big metal ones that you... Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... You know, when you look at things like that, you can see the stains coming down on top of the brick from other elements. Do yep. you ever get caught up in wondering why that happened and where the stain starts? And like, do you ever get caught up in the story of what you're drawing and, and pull yourself away from actually drawing it? I just think of it, each weathered part of, of any structure, whether it's the lighthouse or the Chrysler Building or the Empire State Building. I just think, I don't really think that deep about it, but I just think. It shows its age. It shows its persistence against time. It shows how important it is that it's been there that long. And it, every mark is meaningful because it's it goes to that. How important the structure must be if it's been here for 100 years. Right. Or, you know, along those lines, yeah. It's uh, it's great that you've... Uh, I've got your website up on one of my screens and it's doing that rotation you have on your homepage and it's mm -hmm. just great to be able to see these images keep rotating on me here. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. So I know people are probably curious about kind of your process and your tools. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if we can talk through that sure. in you know deciding what your choice of paper is, what pencils you're using, if we can talk through that and whether that's changed in the last 10 years. Maybe you can start with uh, with paper. I started, when I start, first started, I had the Strathmore Series 300, the yellow cover, Bristol. I've always liked the smooth stuff. I experimented drawing with watercolor paper a couple times because just for the texture mm -hmm. to try, because, you know, architecture, you want a lot of texture. And I did a few drawings. This was years ago when I was first you know, young and trying to figure out what I wanted to, how I wanted my pieces to look and develop a style. 
And while I liked the look of it, I didn't like how I couldn't manipulate the graphite as much as I wanted to, like that you can with the smooth paper. Uh, so I immediately I gravitated back to the Bristol board. Uh, nowadays I use the brown cover, Series 400. It's a little smoother than the 300. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little heavier, I think. I don't know the, the exact weight. That's what I use now. It allows me to do a lot of blending. It allows me to do a lot of graphite powder because uh, I, I do use graphite powder at times and cotton. I'm a big fan of cotton. I use Q-tips to do a lot of my blending and cotton pads to do the, to do my skies. As far as pencils, I always liked Staedtler, the Mars Lumograph blue ones. Mm -hmm. I've experimented with uh, Derwent. And I don't know why. I just I didn't get the same kind of smoothness that I was looking for. And I feel like maybe they're a little shinier. I mean again, I haven't used them in years. I, I went I did a couple drawings with Derwent and I went back to my to my Staedtlers, uh the Lumograph ones, and I've stuck with them. Uh as far as range, I like to have a really good range, a lot of contrast. I've always been drawn to contrast, that's why I like black and white so much. So I try to get a really deep black and a really white white, or as white as the paper will allow. So I go maybe 3H, 4H is the light, or the hardest, and the softest I'll go is 6 or 7B. I, I don't go past that because I feel like when you go past 6 or 7B, especially in the Mars Lumograph line, there's more like a clay content to the, pen, yep. to the pencil, and I don't like the way it blends with the with the six B's and lower, uh, it's almost too black in a sense or too. It, I, I just don't, uh, I usually stop at six B. I can get pretty black with a six B if I layer it enough. Um, so that's the, the, the range I usually do, uh, for a lot of details. I think the one tool that I think that helped me go to the next level, funnily enough, is the Tombow mono zero eraser. Mm -hmm. If I take an exacto knife and I, cut it at an angle to get a nice chisel point and I can do so much fine detail with that. I think it's the greatest was, I think it's a 0.33 millimeter eraser. I have one right here and I, I just get so much more detail and, and create so much more contrast in small areas with that. That I think really, I saw an artist on Instagram music and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Maybe I'll get one. And I really think it helped take, take my work. To, I mean, it, it's more time consuming obviously because you're doing work in small areas. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it getting detail to the next level, I think that, that helped me a lot. Yeah, I would agree with that eraser. Uh, I bought an electric one that I thought was better because it was the same diameter. But because I it was electric, I assumed that if I sharpened it, that I could get in there and do more. But what I found is that I didn't have the same control and I couldn't get a nice tight line. I have one too. I just can't get the same precision and and yeah, I just don't like I don't like electrics. Yeah. Yeah, you can put you can get maybe a little brighter back to the paper right. a little bit, but you can't get that precision that you, that that I'm looking for. Like are are you lifting graphite up with um like blue tack or some other kneadable eraser? Are you doing that throughout the process as well? Yes. My kneaded eraser is always in my hand, yes. Okay. Yeah, keeping it warm, ready to go. Yeah, sometimes it gets too warm, but yeah, <laughs> I got to put it down because it gets too soft. Right. But um, yeah, my needed eraser and my Tombow are my you know I I tell people at, at art shows 
I draw with erasers almost as much as I draw with pencils. That's good. Especially in the sky. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that because the way you've pulled off the sky here, whether it's a Chrysler building or the Titanic, is just incredible with, with the the clouds and uh, the light kind of diffused through the, the clouds. It's just, it blows my mind. Can you can you share some of your secrets? Maybe you've already shared it with the <laughs> the cotton, but maybe you can talk about that a little bit. It's funny because when I was first getting into this, like like in high school even, my skies were terrible. I would I would if I was about to just leave them out and I would just make the background white because I couldn't the gradient from dark to light and in in, you know in, from the horizon line up it gets light to dark and I couldn't I would always go too dark or too light and like clouds look like you know five year old drew them because <laughs> I just couldn't get it to look right so I just stopped doing it and then uh, when I got more serious i saw that if i took a piece of cotton and i got some dark value on the paper and i just dragged it down it created almost the perfect gradient like i just took the cotton and i just kind of rubbed the cotton all over it obviously the top would stay pretty dark and then i could get a nice gradient just by going back and forth with it and then uh i started working with graphite powder which I don't have a jar of it. I don't. I don't buy graphite powder. I have a, a woodless pencil that I take an exacto knife or a blade, whatever, and I just kind of take the blade and I scrape the pencil onto the directly onto my drawing, and I take a piece of a cotton pad and I will just rub it out and make it really nice and smooth, and so that's how I basically create the value of the sky. I will do the whole the whole composition. I will pretty much tone the whole sky area right. in one in one layer. What hardness of pencil you're using when you're getting those scrapings? I have a two B, a four B, and a six B. So generally, I'll start out with something harder like the two B, just to get a tone on the paper. And then toward the top, you know, furthest away from the horizon, I'll take some four B or four B or six B, and I'll do a layer of that only at the top, and I'll kind of blend it together. But before I even do that, once I just have the main the main sky area toned, I will take my kneaded eraser and I will sketch in where I want the clouds to be. So I, I kind of get, I tone the paper and then I get my composition the way I want it with the clouds. And that's when I start going in with the, with the darker values or I go in with the kneaded eraser and refine the cloud shapes. Uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of pull and pull and tug and pull. It, if I want a sharper edge, I'll take my Tombow eraser and I'll do a sharp edge with the Tombow mono eraser. Mm-hmm. If I want a softer edge, I'll use a Q-tip to soften it up. I'll use my needed eraser to soften it up. Um, it's just a lot of guess and check. I guess there's no other term for it until it gets and get it to look right. But I pay a lot of attention to. I generally have a reference. I'm not making generally making up stuff as I go along. I have a reference of a sky that I I. I I very carefully pick out, and and I try to follow it as accurately as I can. So I pay a lot of attention to some clouds have hard edges, some clouds have soft edges. Wherever the light is coming from will be obviously the clouds will have less value. They'll be because the sun is shining, and then the the darkness of the value uh, furthest from the horizon line. How dark does the value get at the horizon line, depending on the time of day? So I just pay a lot of attention to those sort of things. The three-dimensionality of the clouds is important. 
uh, because they're you know you don't want them to look flat, so you do have to you know subtly shade the clouds. It's just kind of just it's a process. Like it, you think it's oh I can do the the sky in fifteen minutes. I'll just rub some graphite on it, pull the clouds out with the kneaded eraser. It won't take long, and then I spend you know ten hours on it just going back and forth. Well, no, this doesn't look right. I need to soften this this edge here. No, this this has a harder edge. Let me go in with my my 2B and just gently, you know, darken the area behind this cloud just to, to make it pop a little bit more. Uh, so contrast is very important because you want some clouds to pop and some clouds to not so much, depending on the composition of your, you know, the main subject. That's all it's about balance. I mean, it's it's a process. It takes takes a lot of time. I put a lot of thought into it. What do you think is, uh, where's your best clouds? Which piece has your best clouds? Ooh, that's a good one. I did a drawing of the twin lights, which the the lighthouse is uh, a lighthouse in New Jersey uh, by Sandy Hook. It's near New York Harbor. Uh, They're they're up on a hill in Navis, Navis, New Jersey, and they almost look like castles. There's two, and they're connected by a brownstone uh, building in the middle. And I drew one of the two. Uh, It's and I called it South Tower because that lighthouse is known as the South Tower of the Twin Lights, Mm -hmm. and it's looking straight up, and I have clouds that gen- gradually go more full as the composition moves left to right. So there's value of the sky on the left side. And as you go to the right, it's all white. The clouds just kind of take over and the composition ends all white. The drawing was done probably four or five years ago, six years ago maybe even. And I think that is pretty successful. I, I really like the way the clouds came out in that one. Uh, my my father actually makes fun of me. He doesn't like how the clouds take over the composition and it ends in white. <laughs> like to this day, it's kind of like a running joke between us. But uh, I still think that's one of my more successful ones. I'm trying to think the Titanic the Titanic drawing I did. It was leaving uh, Belfast on April 10th or April 2nd. I'm sorry, April 2nd, 1912. Uh, Belfast is where it was built, so it was leaving its its place of birth. And there's a lot of steam, and there's a lot of back then they were steamships burned coal, so there's a lot of dark um, smoke. And I think I created really it's not clouds per se; it's more smoke and steam, and, and there's some clouds as well. But I think right. the atmosphere I created pretty much nailed what I was looking for. I was happy with how that came out. So those two come kind of stick out. Yeah, I would agree. I think if one of those doesn't end up as the show art for this show, I'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But I would agree with the the, the lighthouse. Um, it, it keeps popping up here, and I'm thinking that just that's incredible. And I I would also agree that the Titanic it has the way you've captured that, and I, I would have looked at it and thinking, oh, that's going to be such a struggle differentiating kind of the coal soot from mm-hmm. the clouds from mm-hmm. the steam. But you kind of nailed it all, and it, it truly you. brings you back to that point in time. Thank you. Thank you. It was, that actually wasn't that difficult. I just kind of looked at lights and darks in my reference. It, it's based on a very famous photograph of the Titanic. I didn't mm-hmm. make it up. And I just kind of looked at my reference and just kind of picked out lights and darks. Okay, there's dark here. There's light here. And just kind of went with that and built it up slowly. We were talking about needed erasers earlier, and, and I... I realized it didn't have my near me so i grabbed it and then i see you greg playing with yours and i'm thinking if i get buried with i needed a racer in my hand i would be happy <laughs> like, yeah it's kind of like uh 
like a stress reliever almost yep. as well, you know? Like when you're working on a hard part of your drawing, you, you, it's just in my my left hand. I'm just kind of playing with it as I try to figure out what I'm doing. Are you trying to pull things off with the needed eraser before using an eraser? Like are you trying to preserve the tooth of the paper as much as you can? I don't really concern myself with preserving the white or the tooth of the paper that much. I feel like I can get, get pretty white because I, I layer things so gradually. I kind of pull my highlights out early and I avoid those areas once I have my okay. composition set. So yeah, when I'm loosely sketching out my composition, yeah, I pull everything out with the needy eraser and then I kind of kind of leave it be until I'm ready to to really refine and I kind of stay away from those areas that I want it to say pure white. Those really dark areas, the ones that are mm-hmm. almost black, are mm-hmm. you are you eyeing those at the beginning thinking I'm going to I'm going to put you you know, 30% of the way there, and then I'm not going to come back to you till the end? Is that how you're addressing the blacks as well? I'm working on another drawing of the Titanic right now. It's my second attempt at it, and it's much bigger, and there's a lot more hull of the Titanic, the black part, and it takes up a huge part of the composition. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do because that's laying so much graphite down on a drawing that's going to take me so long. But I found out that as I'm working on the composition, and this is what I'm not basing off a photograph, I'm basing it off an imaginative, historically accurate composition that I'm putting together myself. So I was thinking, how do I want to lay down a lot of graphite now? Because it could, it's I'm probably going to have to go over it a million times, but I really needed to see it. So for that, just for compositionally, I really needed to see how dark the ship was going to be in relation to the sky, in relation to the water, in relation to everything else. So I did. I ended up laying a lot of the graphite down pretty early. And now as, as I work, I cover it with tracing paper. So I try not to smear it or, or what, what have you. But right. I do think it helps a lot of times to to kind of get get to almost where you're going to be going. Just so you – because when you're working with black and white, contrast is so important to create a successful composition. I really think it helps to see the darks early on in the process, my opinion. And for these pieces, like I'm thinking more of the the Brooklyn Bridge and others, are you using mm-hmm. a ruler to get the lines and everything? Yeah, I cheat. I use a ruler. If there's no cheating. <laughs> if some people say it's cheating. There's no cheating. You know, I have a funny story about that. I was uh, a couple times a year. I do uh, art shows. Again, lighthouses are popular there, so I'll sell I'll sell my share of prints down there. And one time, I had this man, an older older gentleman, came in, and he had the nicest things to say, and he was very. And looking at my work very closely and I thought he was going to buy something like he really seemed into it and he asked me if I use a ruler and I said uh, yes actually I do use rulers and he's like oh really and he turned around and walked out as if like oh wow that's not real art if you use a ruler I can't have that hanging in my house <laughs> so yeah I'll, I'll never forget that some people think it's cheating I don't think it's cheating I can I draw a straight line freehand probably but why when there's a ruler right there why not use it <laughs> these are all just tools right and exactly. it's you know if, if i gave and i can think of a bunch of people if i gave them a pencil and a ruler they couldn't draw a building like right <laughs> so right it's I, I think it's and people use uh, and i've used it here and there but um you know the apps like da vinci that mm. allow you to project onto a piece right. of paper and to get that initial bit out of the way because you know you should know how to at least understand perspective and be able to draw lines. Right. But it does get to a point where it's like, that's not where I need to be spending my time. 
Right. Especially if you want to, especially if you're doing a commission or you're working on very something very specific. But mm -hmm. I wanted to ask that question, and I'm glad you answered it. And it's not cheating because I need <laughs> other people to hear that yeah. it's okay. You right? know, back in the day, I, I used the, I relied on a ruler a lot more than I do now. I still use it for composition, laying out everything. I I definitely use a ruler. Uh, checking perspective. Occasionally, I'll pick up the ruler and I'll try to make sure everything's in line. But when I actually draw now, I try not to use it because I don't want that artificial edge. It's much more natural when you're shading to not use a ruler. So I don't use it as much as I used to, but I definitely still still use it. And you were talking earlier about the time that you spend on these pieces. How much time are you spending on one of these drawings? And how? And I should ask, how big are they first? And then how much time? My sizes vary. I don't get that big. Piece I'm drawing right now of the Titanic, it's 17 by 22. And that's that's about as big as I go. Uh, I haven't ventured, you know, eight, you know, 24 by 36 or anything like that. Right. A lot of my lighthouse drawings are kind of smaller. They're 16 by 20, 12 by 16, something like that. Uh, I like it to be somewhat portable so I could draw kind of, I have drawing boards that I move around the house. I don't typically sit in one spot. Sometimes I'll draw at the kitchen table with football on. Sometimes I'll, during lunch, I'll prop up my drawing board next to my computer and I'll, I'll, I'll draw a little bit. Um, I like to have that flexibility, not necessarily be tied down. Or if I go away for a weekend, I could I could take it with me because they take so darn long. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going away to the shore for the weekend or something, I like to be able to bring it with me. Right. And how much time are you spending on these? It varies. Uh, I did one of, of Barnegat Lighthouse where it's another straight up and the sky is very prominent. And it's a, it's a relatively large drawing. I forget the exact dimension, but it's probably 21, 22 inches tall. And that didn't take me very long. That took me, I don't know, 30 hours. Because Barnegat Lighthouse, for those that don't know, it's just a conical lighthouse. It's red on the top and white on the bottom. And the way I did it was just looking straight up. You don't see a lot of the detail in the lantern room where a lot of the detail in lighthouses tends to be. So that drawing is very impactful the way I, I, I feel, the way I did it with looking straight up and having a, a strong light source in the sky and the clouds and everything. And that only took me about 30 hours. The Empire State Building drawing that I did, man, that took forever. Uh, I drew every darn window. I drew bricks I, and it's it's not the whole building it's looking up a lot of my work i like to look up for dramatic effect mm -hmm. um it's a picture it's a based on a picture that i took from the street it's my own photograph and it took forever that probably took uh 80 90 100 hours something like that wow and it's not my full-time job so there are days where unfortunately <laughs> i don't get to pick up a pencil uh then there are days where i spend you know four or five hours so the Spending 100 hours on a drawing could take me four, five, six months. Uh, I wish I had the time to draw more. I have a daughter. I have a job. But like 100 hours of free time isn't always the easiest to come across. So a lot of my drawings take, you know, they're measured in months, not days or weeks, unfortunately. Are you working on more than one piece at a time? No, I don't like to do that. Okay. I don't know why. I know a lot of artists have, you know, they're drawing one here, they're drawing one there. I like to be able to focus on, on one one at a time do you ever uh, fall out of love with a piece that you're working on all the time all the time <laughs> how do you that fix it <laughs> yeah i don't know i just find sometimes i take you know, a couple of days away 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, that usually brings me back. I, I, I rediscover what I was drawn to it in the first place. Um, if I, if I see it sitting there, I'll be like, Oh, you know, it doesn't look right. And I'll just pick up a pencil and try to fix it. Like that's how a lot of my drawing sessions start. And then, you know, you blink and it's in an hour and a half. Uh, but, um, yeah, a lot of the time I do get tired. I spend so much time on them. I get tired. I get tired of them. I get frustrated with them. So many almost went in the trash can, but I just found a way to finish them. Um, the empire state building was probably my, I feel one of my strongest pieces. It's, garnered me the most uh, awards and attention and it's a special piece to me because it's one of my favorite buildings so that one it was worth spending the time and almost throwing it in the garbage can probably five or six times so i look at it very fondly now yeah i think what what happens maybe as an artist and i've noticed this over the last two three years is that once you do the process do the thing on a regular basis, even when you get to the point that you fall out of love and it's like, oh, this is just, this part is really just annoying me, that you know that if you just keep doing the thing, you'll get to a point where you'll either learn something or you'll finish it. Right. Right. right? And yeah. I, I don't think you go through that one because I have so many unfinished pieces that I stopped because it's like, I give up. I can't do this thing. Uh-huh. And uh, I think you get to a point later it's easier yeah i try to push through that i try to every you asked me what my hardest drawing was i could tell you every single drawing i've worked on was the hardest drawing i've ever done there's always a part (laughs) that you're just like how the hell am i going to do this you know how am i going to pull this off and you just kind of got to trust yourself which is hard because you know confidence in art is 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 a challenge um but you just got to trust that the process trust that you know you'll You'll figure out a way, and if it doesn't come out exactly the way you want it, we'll finish it and we'll move on, and you'll you know you'll draw another drawing tomorrow. So you just kind of I just try to push through it. I try to learn something. A lot of times I'll just if I don't know what I'm doing, I can't figure something out. I'll go on the internet and I'll just look at other people's art and try to find inspiration. I'll try to find hey, that's kind of the look I'm looking for. What did this person do that made their piece so successful? And how can I apply that to my work? And I'll really try to work the problem. I don't like to give up. It's not in my nature. <laughs> I, I will push through and torture myself until it's at some level of, of finish. <laughs> That's impressive. And we can all probably learn from that. <laughs> it gets hard. Trust me. I've definitely, I've definitely gone complete. Where I'll, I don't know if I'm going to finish this one, but I, I've, I've tried to find a way. Now, we, we talked a, a few weeks ago about... You know, your interest in the Titanic and maybe explain what it is about the Titanic that fascinates you. Um, like I said before, the big architecture thing, I discovered the Titanic at a time where I was really infatuated with skyscrapers and lighthouses. I was in, I believe it was fourth grade. I took a library book out called Exploring the Titanic by Robert Ballard. It was geared toward children. Uh, it gave the whole story of the Titanic and it had uh, paintings by Ken, Ken Marshall, who any Titanic nerd knows exactly who he is. He is the one where if you Google the Titanic, you will see his paintings. He was uh, asked to be a big part of the James Cameron 1997 film. Uh, he was A lot of the shots of the Titanic they recreated in the movie were based on his paintings. So I was drawn by his artwork and just the size of the ship, how big it was, how gorgeous it was. 
how just unbelievable that was for that time period that in 1912 without computers without you know any of that stuff they hand drew the plans for this thing and built it and it was considered such a marvel of technology it had it had a very strong wireless uh, telegraph in it one of the strongest ones in the world it had the, this this um, design where it couldn't sink or that it was practically practically it was not called unsinkable back then it was called practically unsinkable it, it had all this technology and it was the safest ship in the world and it was and somehow it sank and it killed a lot of people and i just found that unbelievable that this massive thing is so gorgeous could scrape along an iceberg and just be gone in two hours and it always infatuated me between that and it was like the perfect not perfect people died obviously but like it's the script of that night and that of the ship's life, like you could, you couldn't come up with something so unbelievable where the richest people in the world, the most well-known people in the world are on it as well as the poor, you know, some of the poorest people in the world. And it was its first ever voyage. It was only a week old when it sank. And it was this marvel that just disappeared like that. Like it just, like I, I mentioned before, the engineering of how it, how it failed, how, how the, the flooding sequence, it broke in half. Like, it's just incredible that such a beautiful thing was just brought to such an incredible demise. I, I just think it's fascinating. There's so many interesting stories about the Titanic that it's endless. It's absolutely endless. Uh, that they, they didn't have the, the binoculars because somebody walked off the ship with, with the key to the cabinet. Like... There's so many little like things like a lot of people don't realize. It's just it's, it's a fascinating story. It's just it's it's unbelievable. So yeah, I, I I can learn. I try to learn more about the Titanic every day. Like <laughs> whether it's like some Instagram account or I just I'm googling something. I just I I can't get enough of it. I don't know why. I just there's always another rabbit hole with this disaster. It's just endless. I just there's conspiracy theories and it's just incredible. I, I I really love it. Is there anything out there in the world that you'd like to draw that you haven't that approaches this level of um, interest? I'm not going to say obsession, but say yeah. interest. You know, the Titanic intimidated me for so long to try to draw it. I was drawing lighthouses first, and then I branched out to skyscrapers and did a couple of Brooklyn bridges, and then for my my fortieth birthday. Uh, in 2019, my my wife said, "Do you want to go on like a little trip for your 40th birthday?" I said, "Let's go to Ireland for like a long weekend and take me to see Belfast, where the Titanic was built. You know, the the, the famous museum there." And I getting to do that was one of the coolest things. And I wasn't quite as into it as I am now. Then, even though I, I picked it for my trip, seeing where everything happened. Standing in the in the drawing rooms where they drew the plans and seeing the spot where it was built and where it was launched into the water for the first time, that set me. Now I'm like I'm like a kid again with it. I'm so interested in it again. It really ignited what I was fascinated with as a kid. Uh, so the last few years, I was like, hey, maybe I should try to draw the Titanic. Oh, it looks so complicated. It looks so hard to. My buildings are so rigid. They're they're verticals. They're you know. 90 degree angles. The Titanic had what's called shear, where it kind of sagged in the middle and had all these graceful lines. And I was like, do you think I could do that? I'm so architecturally focused and rigid. Can I really draw something that, you know, organic and, and 
So it was, it was really hard for me to build up the confidence. Like, should I even try this? And I just decided to one day. And I, I spent, you know, probably, it's a smaller drawing. It's only 12 by 16. So I probably spent 50 hours on it. And uh, I proved to myself that I could do it. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy with it. As far as something else that I would, I would really like to do to, to draw the Twin Towers, I haven't gone down that road. I don't know why. I just haven't. Mm-hmm. They're hard. There's, I feel like the more simple a subject is, the harder it is to draw because there's less area to hide your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the Twin Towers were so simple. And, you know, their design, they're just, you know, verticals, basically. And their window lines were so skinny. <laughs> and the architect did that on purpose because he was afraid of heights. I don't know if you know that. Oh. The, the windows are, are only, I think, six inches or a foot, foot wide. Something like that, and uh, he did that. Uh, Miro Yamasaki was the was the uh, designer. He did that on purpose because he was afraid of heights, and he designed the tallest building in the world. The vanishing point, look, because I would probably do it looking up at them, just because I think that would be cool. And if getting all those vanishing points with all the verticals of all the window lines of those twin towers, I think is really intimidating. Um, so I haven't done that yet, but that's it's been on my list for a while. I also don't have any photographs of my own of them, unfortunately. So I'd have to use an internet references. And I don't usually like doing that. Right. There's always a lighthouse I want to draw. I'm curious, like, if I look into your shop at some of your work, I see a couple of sea turtles there, and one of them really mm-hmm. stood out. Is Did the sea turtle happen before or after the Titanic? The sea turtle, well, I have two. The one right. I did before my wife and I even got married, my wife loves turtles. And for one of her birthdays, I drew her a sea turtle. And it's still hanging in her house, so I guess she liked it. (laughs) (laughs) The second one was a commission of a very good friend who had a friend who lived in Florida. And I guess their son had passed away. And his like life uh, obsession was this specific breed of turtle. It's a hawksbill turtle. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. And he asked me if if I would do that. For him to give as a gift to the parents of this of this person who passed away, I was a little reluctant because it, it's the same thing I said about the Titanic. You know, I'm so rigid with architecture. Could I? And I, the other sea turtle I did was way back in like 2007, so I hadn't drawn an animal in you know forever. So I was really wondering, could I pull this off? Like, and he sent me references, so I, I wasn't drawing it, you know, off the top of my head. I could never do that, but I, I said, you know. For, He's a dear friend, and the cause was I couldn't say no. So it came out okay. It was hard. The organic nature of animals was something that took a little while to get used to, being so you know architecturally driven, trying to be the best architecture artist I could be, mm-hmm. and then switching gears to an, an animal. It was a, a challenge. But uh, that was... The Titanic came after that. This was that was a couple of years ago. Do you want to go back to animals at some point? I do. I don't mind animals. I like okay. I like animals. Uh, I'd like to do my dog probably, or I, the dog previous to this dog as well, who who passed away. Mm-hmm. But the fur, man, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you can see back there, fur. but I've got a dog on my table there that's been sitting waiting for me for quite oh, some really? time. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Yeah, the fur to me is really like I I feel like I can get the proportions right and get the likeness, yeah. but the the texture of the fur 
It's just intimidating. <laughs> it's hard. Like I've, especially on like the one I'm working on, the, mm-hmm. the fur is predominantly white. So you're actually drawing mm-hmm. the shadows. You're not drawing the right. fur, right? Right. But it it is tough. And it's even tougher if the dog is yours because I drew, uh, I've drawn all our dogs. The first time it took me, I think about four years after its passing before I could spend that much time looking in its eyes and drawing it. Like it was mm-hmm. just, it's it's hard. Right. Yeah, it it's is. harder yeah. drawing dogs than it is people if I've got a connection with them. Right. And I totally, as someone who lost a, a pet, a dog, yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough because you feel like I really, I got to nail this. And then, right. And then, you know, you go in and you look, and I talked to another artist on the podcast about this. You look at the reflection, and maybe you see you in the mm-hmm. reflection on mm-hmm. that day you took the photo, and right. then it, and then it hits home, and then you end up, Forget yeah. this. I got to come back to this in a few right. days. <laughs> right. Totally get that. Yeah. yeah. Losing a dog is definitely one of the hardest things. Yeah. For sure. So, like, is there a part of the world that you think you'd like to visit? At f- almost 43 years old, I, I have to say, I've been very blessed. I've seen a lot. I've been able to travel a lot. My, uh, my mother was always big into travel. My wife is big into travel. So, as a kid, I got to travel quite a bit. Awesome. And being married, my wife and I, pre-daughter... I've traveled quite a bit. We did the Mediterranean cruise thing. We did um, we did Ireland, as I just mentioned. We our honeymoon was in uh, Bora Bora. I had to go to China for business, so I've been to China. I've been to Paris a few times, Germany, Amsterdam. Uh, so I've I've seen quite a bit. Uh, we have our fifteenth wedding anniversary coming up, and we were just discussing where we want to go. <laughs> so uh, we were talking maybe Alaska. Or you know, I love Europe. You know, I can never say no to going back to Europe. Right. So yeah, those those places definitely would be on the list. Do you bring a sketchbook with you, whether it's where you are in New Jersey or when you're traveling? Do you ever just bring a sketchbook that is just for doodling? You know, I I break a lot of art rules. <laughs> <laughs> I know the way to get better at drawing is to take the sketchbook out and just sketch. And I I know that you want to draw from life. You want to draw what's in front of you. You want to take the sketchbook out. And I'm always, there's some artists on Instagram, namely Paul Heaston, who yep. can be picking his kid up from school and just waiting, you know, in his car for his daughters or whatever. And he will see like a pickup truck parked across the street and he will sit there and draw it in his sketchbook and it will be unbelievable. And I cannot do that. Everything that I do and as far as my drawings, is so premeditated and thought out. And I really like the process. I like spending 40 hours on a drawing. People are like, how do you spend so much time when you get bored? And yes, I'm human. I get frustrated and it gets tedious and, and whatnot. But I like it. I like it always being there. I like sitting down and saying, okay, where did I leave off? And, and getting back into it. So as far as sketching, I don't. I do have a sketchbook. I bring it on vacation. I don't take it out very often to be perfectly <laughs> honest because I, i'm on vacation i don't have a lot of time to and i will i'm i'm an old dog i don't i haven't learned any new tricks i will want to sit there and i will want to intricately draw stuff as far instead of being loose and as a sketch should be mm-hmm. so I, it's more frustrating like i'll take it out and i'll get all anal about it and i'm like no this is not what i'm supposed to be doing and now i have to go to dinner so what did i just like no i'm not doing this and i'll close the book and i'll walk away from it (laughs) but i do bring them i bring them with the thought hey maybe i'll draw on vacation you know 
And no, I don't. <laughs> That's okay. I'm always looking for thing I do is I'm looking for things to draw on vacation. Right. Uh, I like photography quite a bit. I'm always taking pictures. My wife will tell you. I'm always lagging behind the group because I'm taking pictures of something. So I'm always looking for a new subject. So that I will do. But as far as just taking the sketchbook out and, and drawing, no, I don't know. It's just, it sounds good. It sounds good, but I don't usually do it. Well, I appreciate your honesty again. Like I think it's, and you know what I love about art having rediscovered it later in life is realizing there's a place for all of us. Like, you know, Paul Heaston does amazing stuff. He's been on the podcast talking about mm-hmm. his journey mm-hmm. and he's able to do what he does. You're able to do what you do. And, you know, everybody respects everyone else and it's mm-hmm. not a competition and we all find our peace and we all find our joy. And we know that, you know, right. it's like, you know, that thing that person does really frustrates me because they do it so, so easily right right and but i i think that that means that we're looking at ourselves and i think we do need to look at ourselves and and be humble Mm -hmm. um in in what we do whether it's the whole thing or whether just a small element of what we do to think you know what i need to keep doing this doing Mm -hmm. the thing and if it's without a sketchbook it's cool it's fine (laughs) thank you (laughs) i appreciate that (laughs) because i get i get asked that a lot like do you sketch and i'm like I used to, like, way back when I was a kid, I would. But now, no, I'm more into the the bigger pieces and, and trying to nail it and spending the time and, rather than just taking a quick study of something. I get right. bored. I get more bored with that, honestly, than spending 50 hours on a drawing. I don't know why. It's just how, I, how I'm wired, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and it, maybe this goes without saying, but when it comes to digital work, are you doing anything in that space personally or is it all pencil i have an ipad and the apple pencil and procreate and i've messed around with it but again i i do what i do i i I draw what i want to draw in the medium that i want to draw it because it excites me Mm -hmm. because it's my passion um so while i have messed around with procreate and you know even on illustrator for work or whatever my method of art will always be pencil it's just what I do. Have you thought about teaching the pencil stuff? I have. Uh, I I've done a couple, you know, silly real, real like Instagram real tutorials, mm-hmm. um, and I do enjoy showing my process. Uh, when people approach me at an art show or a friend or you know, how do you do that? I get excited talking about it. Like I'm excited to talk to you. Like before when I was telling you how I do skies, talking about my process excites me because I feel like. I can do it. It's really not that hard. Like anybody can do it. And if you break the process down, it's it, it's really so simple that I I really encourage people to do it because it's not that hard. And it, if you really take your time and you think about what you're doing and you you simplify it, you'd be really amazed as to what you what you can create. And I I really think, like I said, the second you put a mark on a piece of paper, you're an artist. And I really try to promote art that way. Because, you know, you may not be the, the best artist in the world or you may not make, you know, a full-time living or a million dollars or whatever. But anybody can, can do it. And I, I remember on one of your podcasts, you talked to France Van Stone. Mm-hmm. And she's one of my favorites. And she did a whole talk about talent. And there's no such thing as talent. Mm-hmm. It's enjoying what you do. 
and putting the time in because you enjoy it so much. And then naturally your ability will, will come out and people will say, wow, you're so talented. It's like, no, I just spent the time because I enjoy it. And I, that, that what she said really hit home to me. And I try to use that same message when I talk about my art. Like, you can do it too. If you enjoy it and you want to do it, you mm-hmm. can do it. So as far as that, yeah, I, I could see myself teaching one day. I'm pretty passionate about it. And I think I could, I could get a student or whoever to, uh, to understand where I come from. Well, if you can teach that student in your house who's nine right now, I'm sure that you can, <laughs> you can manage others. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> she yeah. needs to have some patience for her dad, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and I think, uh, in a, and I'll just take this point to mention that, you know, we've talked about some of the other guests, and we've talked about some structures and buildings and the Titanic. I'm going to include links to a bunch of resources in the show notes including links to your work as well, so that people who are listening now that can't pull it up easily can go back to the show notes either on their phone or on the website and be able to explore some of the things we've talked about. Because I think it'll be important too when we're talking about some of the the lighthouses you've done and that is I can provide links directly to those locations so Mm -hmm. people can see them. And if you're in that area that you can stop by and see (laughs) <laughs> some of the wonderful uh, buildings in person before you go out and buy some of your prints. <laughs> Thank you. So I wanted to kind of explore a little bit about the prints and selling mm. your work. Okay. Uh, because that's, you know, that's kind of the next step for a lot of people when you end up with a pieces of work around your house and then you show it to somebody and it's like, oh, do you sell your work? That's mm-hmm. typically the first or the second question. Right. What's And, and so you're selling your stuff on Etsy. Mm-hmm. How has that been for you? When I first started, it it, it, it was pretty slow. I sell a handful a year. Now, now I'm I'm doing better. The last couple of years, I, my sales have gone up, which is cool. Gotten a decent amount of following on social media now, so I feel like my my prints are in front of more eyes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I sell my share. I'm not getting rich, but uh, it's a nice monetization of my hobby for sure. It pays for the pencils and the paper and yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Do you think it's been your following increasing on Instagram that's that's done this, or have you had like the Titanic or a couple of pieces? Do you felt like I'm just wondering if if we were to pull the ingredients apart and try to make this recipe again? Do do you think there's something that we can focus on as artists? I honestly I don't even know <laughs> how I got my following. <laughs> Uh, I was on Instagram. I had you know two thousand Eastat followers for ever, forever and ever. And again, I, I mentioned how I break art rules all the time. I break social media rules too. I don't post that often. I should post more. I enjoy showing my process. It's not that I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It's that my drawings take so much time. I can spend an hour or two on a drawing, and my progress isn't worth posting. <laughs> and then it may be a day or two before I even work on it again. So I try to post once a week. It it doesn't happen, uh, but I do post as much as I, I I can. But I think that held me back for a while. Um, I I wasn't getting uh, a big following, and then the whole real thing started. And I saw a bunch of art people making silly reels, t- uh, you know, timing them out to trendy audios, and they were getting all these all these follows and likes and whatever. So I did. I made a couple of my older my older pieces that were that had been popular, like my Empire State Building was actually the first one. And I would just take still images of my progress and layer them 
and you know show the progression in stop motion basically and time the the progression to some silly audio that was trending on Instagram and I had three or four go viral and I was getting it was unbelievable I was getting a thousand followers a day for for almost a month and I ended up at like 25,000 followers and I have my friends like what's going on why are you getting like I don't know (laughs) I did a reel and it it has a hundred thousand likes I don't know what's going on and it happened, literally happened practically overnight. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what I did. I made a reel, <laughs> well, a few, and they all did well. So I don't know if it was my subject matter. I mean, I tried to do them with popular drawings, like my New York pieces, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Empire State Building, and Chrysler Building were all popular. My Titanic drawing um, was very popular. That's probably my most liked reel. I think that was the one that got like... Yeah, it's almost a million views now, right? Yeah. I don't, hey, I don't know. I just drew it and made it real. So, uh, and then with that following, my print sales went up. So, I mean, I mean, I'm probably a ton of artists have had this happen. Obviously, the more exposure you get on social media, there's a link in my bio to my shop, people click on it. So, I can, I guess I can attribute that. I'm not one to draw what other people want me to draw. As I mentioned before, I like to draw what I want to draw. So, I'm not drawing stuff that I know will do well because quite frankly my lighthouse posts don't do well my titanic posts do my new york skyscraper posts do but I draw more lighthouses than anything so I don't know it just kind of happened where I got a, a decent following and I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because I have a big following I'm just going to keep plugging along that's awesome and I wanted to ask you when you were talking about your pieces when you're done are you spraying them with any kind of fixative I typically do. I typically spray them with with a fixative, just because I, I sometimes I, if I enter competitions and if uh, you know local or what have you, and if it's if it's going to be in an ex- exhibit, I will frame it. Um, if it's not, I typically don't. So I want to have some layer of protection on them because they'll just sit around basically. So yeah, I, I almost always fix them just to have so they don't because there's so much graphite on them, and I feel like I spent so many hours getting every grain and graphite where i want it to be i don't want anything to mess with it so i have a really technical question and if you're listening to this and you're not into the graphite talk you can just close your ears for a second (laughs) i'm looking at the gateway to brooklyn bridge and i'll link to this in the show notes because there's a lot of white space in that one right yes and so i have a question for you because this has annoyed me for me when i've worked on pieces that are pencil and there's a lot of white space. Mm-hmm. And then I go to spray fixative because I think I've got it clean. And I spray mm-hmm. the fixative and that silly hand print, fingerprint is in one corner. Of, and there's graphite that I've left there. And now mm-hmm. that I've sprayed it, it You can see the fingerprint. Right? Yeah. Do you go through and lift off all the graphite for the whites before you spray it? Like, are you that? No. No? I don't. I okay. just, when, before I spray something, I just, basically, I have a just a brush and I make sure I get every particle, you know, whether it's an eraser shaving or whatever. Uh, I make sure the drawing is very clean. Um, I guess maybe I kind of do my whitest whites. If I'll notice there's a smudge or or something, I'll I'll take like a plastic eraser, you know, the most aggressive eraser I I have. And I will, I will try to make sure it's pure white. But I really, I'm not that that crazy about it. I don't spend a lot of time prepping it for for fixing. Um, I just kind of brush it off, pull out the maybe the brightest white, and then 
just spray it. And I've had that happen where you get like a smudge that you can see. And then mm. I take an eraser and I erase it and realize that that smudge was not, th- that there was more than one value there. So mm-hmm. when I erase it, I notice that the stuff around that smudge is mm-hmm. also gray. Right. <laughs> so now I've got a big white it. splotch on the page. I get it. Yeah, that's think, very frustrating. Yeah, then do you yeah. erase the whole page or do you try bringing some graphite and match the <laughs> Right. <laughs> but that way I think was before I was quite, um, if I draw, draw with pencil now and it's a larger piece, I will lay a piece of paper on top of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, with my skies, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, there's so much graphite and it want you know and so much blending and smoothing and one fingerprint can just <laughs> ruin the whole thing and i believe me i've strayed from my reference just to cover up a fingerprint or two I'm like oh well i guess i need to make a cloud here <laughs> um just because yeah. i can't blend the the value of the sky over it because there's a big fingerprint there yeah so yeah it's frustrating and i'm very particular about touching the paper i will do everything i can i will cover it with tracing paper i will cover it with just regular printer paper whichever whatever i have near me i will cover the drawing up because you know wherever my hand is laying has to be covered i I will not touch right and i see i see people oh it drives me crazy when i see charcoal artists or graphite artists and they're drawing and they take their fingers and they blend with their fingers i'm like oh my god (laughs) The oils. (laughs) I was a big fan of uh, Scott Meyer and drawing together on Artist Network. Yeah, I tuned in every week, and he was so great. And he he explained everything so well and so perfectly. And his talent is unbelievable. And he created amazing pieces of work, uh, pieces of art in less than two hours. But the man kept blending with his fingers, and I, I would because he had a live chat going on with his live streams, and I'd always like. Scott, your fingers. What are you doing? <laughs> and he'd always he would laugh, you know, on occasion because he 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 knew my work and and he knew how how crazy I am about that. But it drives me crazy, and I can't just the thought of the oils being on your finger oils being on the paper. Yeah, is just hor. It's horrifying to me. <laughs> it's like it, it's like nails on a chalkboard, right? <laughs> it is. It, that's a very good analogy. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I, I have to, I look away. Like it's really bad. <laughs> Because I know if I do that, I'll never get those fingerprints yeah. out of there, man, no matter what. Like, yeah. I don't know how people do it. I really don't. Yeah. Because Scott would do a whole drawing blending with his fingers, and you wouldn't see a smudge. I'm like, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there are a few artists I follow on, on Instagram that do that, and they do beautiful work. And I admire them for being able to have this laissez-faire attitude right. about their oils so on paper. <laughs> but, yeah. but wow, yeah, stresses me out. Yeah, it's Joe. God, you have no idea. Because like, ah, I just I would never want to show them their work. My my work. It's like you've got to put these gloves on because I don't know if you're gonna have stuff on your fingers from your last session. You're gonna be like, oh, I like that bit over there. Don't yeah. touch my paper. Don't touch it, please. Oh, I'm the same way. If I show even my parents, if I hey, I just finished this drawing. Yeah, look at it, check check it out. And you know, I, I see my dad and his finger like, oh, and I see almost see it in slow motion, his finger coming toward the jaw. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. And I just quickly pull it away. I'm like, nah, we're not gonna touch it. It's, yeah, we're good okay. here. <laughs> Even though it's been fixed and everything. I'm like, nah. Yeah. nah we don't we don't need you to touch it. It's fine. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll airdrop a uh, a photo to you later. <laughs> you right. Yeah. I'll send you the scan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before we get into the homework, I have a couple of questions for you. And I'm just wondering, because we're getting to the end of the year, and I'm always thinking about, okay, what's 23 going to be for me? I'm wondering what 23 is going to be for you. 
do you have thoughts, plans, uh, ideas about how you're going to approach next year for your art? I, I kind of do. I, I'm looking to just get to the next level and maybe one day have like a gallery show, you know, a solo show. Um, so once I finish my Titanic drawing, and it'll be interesting to listen to this a year from now and see if, this, if I actually was going to do this. I want to do a, a series of lighthouses, kind of build on the ones I've done before, and maybe one day have a lighthouse drawing show. Hmm. Um, writing a book also, if I ever came up with enough pieces to include in a book, I would love to write a book about my process and you know of lighthouse drawings. Um, just because I'm a lighthouse nerd, I think lighthouse people may appreciate it. Probably won't get on Oprah's bestseller list or anything <laughs> like that. But yeah, I do want to. Now that I, I've explored, you know, coming out of my comfort zone, doing as passionate as I am about the Titanic, it was definitely coming out of my comfort zone to try to draw it, and to and now the one I'm drawing now is even more out of my comfort zone because I'm kind of making it up as I go, um, which is something I I, I usually am very. Uh, I, I usually spend a lot of time selecting a reference, making the reference the way I want it in Photoshop, and then kind of sticking to it, where this piece I'm working on now is all kind of coming. I mean, I have references, obviously. I'm not drawing the Titanic from the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm straying a lot and, and kind of coming up with my own thing. Kind of go back to, not my comfort zone, because I want to do explore lighthouses in a way I haven't explored them before. Maybe do some interior Mm-hmm. You know the weathered texture of of the brick inside, uh, the the cool spiral staircases, um, maybe some detail of the the lantern rooms where they have the intricate ironwork or whatever. Just kind of have fun with that. That's that's definitely a goal. I think it would be really cool to have you know in, to be in a gallery somewhere with with my work. It's kind of bucket list kind of thing. And you know lighthouses are what I think my strongest my strongest part of of my work is. So why not? go from there and try to create some really strong pieces and, and get some some attention and take my work maybe to the next level. That would be awesome. I'll tell you what, if you had ever end up with a solo show, I'm going to make every effort to drive down and see it. Oh, I, I would, that I would am, be awesome, man. <laughs> it would be great. I am not that far from you that I could maybe justify... <laughs> Heading down there. <laughs> hey, you but... can spend some time in New York City while you're while you're around too. Yeah, yeah, true enough, true enough. I'm, I'm only sure. about an hour and fifteen minutes from the city. Okay, so. my wife may be interested in that. Not a big city person, <laughs> but you know, uh, it would be kind of fun. I'd love to see your. You have a solo show. I would love to see a book. I mean, it's so easy. I shouldn't say easy. It is easier now for artists to be uh, either kickstarting or mm-hmm. working on their own books. Um, right. And I think that's exciting for all of us, to, for us to be able to tell our stories through what we draw and through what we say. Right. And so I, I, I hope that there's a book in your future as well. Yeah, I hope so too. And probably years down the road, but hopefully yeah, yeah. one day I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Everything takes time. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> so one kind of fun question that we'll go into homework, and that is, if you had a chance to have lunch with a fictional person, who would it be? Ooh, that's an interesting question. When you think of that, you automatically kind of think about people that are no longer with us, and me being a history person and a Titanic buff, maybe somebody from the Titanic, maybe Thomas Andrews. He was always somebody that, as a kid learning about the Titanic and its design, he was, for those that don't know, he was the man who 
was played a big role in the design of the Titanic, the design of the Olympic class, which was the, the Titanic was one of three ships. So they were pretty, pretty identical and they were revolutionary at the time. So he would probably be a really fascinating person to talk to. He actually died on the Titanic. Hmm. He went, he went down with the ship. He was actually aboard because it was its, the ship's maiden voyage. And he made it a point to be on the first voyage of all the ships he designed to go through them and see if there are any ways to make them better. And uh, if you go through his the uh, the story of him, he one of the things he wrote in his notebook during the maiden voyage of the Titanic was the the coat racks didn't have enough hooks on them. Like he was that anal about everything being perfect on on his creations. And I think it would be fascinating to talk to him. He died a young man. Uh, he had a lot of a lot of cool things to to do in his future and it's a shame that he was lost but um talking to him i think would be pretty cool i'll see if i can find a link directly to him and we'll 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 link out to that it's cool because i had i i kind of expected you would go that route and even though i said fictional you went with non-fictional and i oh i applaud you you. no i i I, I did and i think your answer is better (laughs) so (laughs) fictional i don't even know where i would go with fictional I don't, honestly, I'm drawing a blank. I have no idea. <laughs> I'd have to think about the fiction. Part. I just think it's brilliant because uh, it's this shows, I think it reflects your obsession and mm-hmm. your love of, of that ship and everything it stands mm-hmm. for. And uh, I think that's brilliant. I, your answer your answer's better than anything fictional. I think it's just the love of design in general. Like mm-hmm. I have such admiration for architects and people that design these incredible structures and how they go from a drawing on a piece of paper to, you know, an 882 foot long ship or a 1,250 foot tall Empire State Building. I it's just it, the 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 childhood fascination that I have with that. I don't think will ever go away. I always get to a point where it's always nice to have a little bit of homework, something for people to do to hear from uh, wonderful people like yourself about how they can take their kind of creative journey further. So. What are your thoughts for homework for the listener right now? I wanted people to do something on their own. As I said before, I think my my skies were always something that held me back. And studying the forms of clouds and the lights and darks and contrasts of a black and white sky, um, I really think it's really interesting if you just take your phone or whatever and snap a picture of a of a day where the clouds are really dynamic and you just look at it, maybe take the, the saturation down, put it in black and white and see how the forms relate to each other, the soft edges, the hard edges, the lights, the darks, and try to replicate that with a, with a pencil, maybe a little cotton <laughs> and a kneaded eraser, I think would be a, like a cloud study. I have a cloud study on my Instagram that I did not that long ago. I just felt like doing clouds and I found that really helpful just the composition and, and studying the lights and darks and, and the edges, the soft edges, the hard edges. I really think it's a cool exercise. I think that's a great exercise. I have not, I'm trying to think if I've even done clouds in pencil. I'm not sure I have, so I may have to try this one. Um, I, and I would agree, like from the perspective of the hard and soft, like you don't get, depending on what you're drawing with pencil, you don't get a chance to explore that as much as you would. Mm-hmm. And I think knowing how to do the hard and the soft 
uh, especially like, you know, I, I'm playing a lot in watercolor and that, um, mm-hmm. understanding whatever medium you're in to being able to do the hard and the soft, whether mm-hmm. it's for the purpose of fading to nothing or fading mm-hmm. to a different color or fading right. to white, right. it's important. Um, yeah. But I, I love that because there's always clouds. Yeah, clouds, I mean, clouds are cool, man. They yep. get some cool compositions with just walking around the street. You can look up and you can see unbelievable, you know, on the right day, you can see some really cool formations and... Yeah, it was the hardest thing for me to do, and now it's one of my favorites. It's probably the most fun part of my drawings is doing the skies. I remember, you know, learning about cirrus, and, or cirrus, and yeah. cumulus, and everything yep. else. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know to look up, you know, maybe looking up from your phone and and getting that, taking that picture, or just you know, if you've got uh, the ability, being able to do it in real life, but looking up at the sky instead of looking at your phone. Even that, yeah, well, that would be more good. fun. Yeah. Yeah. But we know me, I don't sketch like that. So. <laughs> for everyone else, yeah, for, for you can do that. People, yeah. <laughs> I like to take the picture home and, and spend, you know, 30 hours doing it. But <laughs> right. right. So let's let's do it Greg's way. Everybody take a picture and yeah, bring it home and do it that yeah. way. Spend 30 hours on it. That's your homework. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Take the next week off work. Uh, exactly. we, 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 you know, ask your boss just to uh, to send us an email, and uh, uh, we said it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have my permission, right? So, and if you do this, make sure you tag uh, Greg and myself in it, um, so that we can see your work as well. Because it yeah, would be... I'd love to love to see other people's work. Yeah, I think there's something inherently gained for every artist to see other artists' work. Mm-hmm. You can always learn something from somebody else. Absolutely, always just one thing, right? Yep, yep. exactly. Yeah. So the last little bit is sharing where people can find you online. So Greg, where can uh, people find your work and find you? I mostly post on Instagram um, at Greg Denapoli Art. I do have a Facebook page. I post usually whatever is on Instagram goes to my Facebook page as well. Um, And I have a website, gregdenapoliillustration.com. And uh, I update my website with any achievement or new drawing I'll update on my website. And there's links to my Instagram on my website as well. So not too hard to find. (laughs) Fantastic. I will link to all of that in the show notes. And I wanted to thank you, Greg. It's been, uh, you know, I love speaking to all the artists, but I always have a special place for graphite. And it's been so great to sit and talk with you (laughs) through this (laughs) podcast about graphite because I feel like once again, at some point we're going to meet and I hope we meet at a solo show. Maybe we meet before then, but um, I hope so. I hope, definitely hope so. Yeah. I think it's been, uh, it's wonderful like hearing your process and, and you know, the cloud bit I never really thought about. So I'm going to have to explore that now. And it's just been such a pleasure talking with you. And I really am thankful for your, your wife and daughter for allowing you to, to spend an <laughs> evening with me and uh, Not appreciate all the knowledge and all the stories. It's so, I love talking about art. It's, one of the few things I can talk intelligently about, <laughs> somewhat intelligently anyway. But um, no, it's it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, thank you so much. It's really it's really been a lot of fun. Thank you, and uh, take care of yourself. And we'll talk soon. Same to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Show notes, including the links to everything Greg and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm/slash eighty-eight. If you enjoyed the show, please follow, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing.